0: Honestly, it came out of a real pain. And I think that's how categories in many ways are formed, that whoever is the founder or set of founders, I mean, it has to be in your DNA. The pain has to be felt.
1: I'm your host, Dave Knox, and this is Predicting the Turn, a show that helps business leaders meet their industry's inevitable disruption head on. Welcome to another episode of Predicting the Turn. Today, we're joined by my good friend Sangram, who's going to be talking about his founding journey with a great company called Terminus. Sangram, welcome to the show.
0: Dave, so excited to be finally making this show happen. There has been like so many times we've gone back and forth and finally, here we are.
1: I love it. Well, thank you again. So I want to start a little bit with your background. Can you talk about the journey that led you First to Pardot, then to Salesforce, and now ultimately as the co-founder of Terminus.
0: Yeah, man, absolutely. Um, really, re- really interesting journey because when you go from a small company like Pardot, uh, where I was running marketing, and we got just acquired by Exact Target, and within six months, Exact Target got acquired by Salesforce for about I think two point five billion dollars, and. That just was crazy, right? Because you go from this 100 people company based in Atlanta, everybody lovey dovey, kind of like, you know, making moves. And then you all of a sudden become this part of this iconic brand, Salesforce, where everything is big. Oh, man, it it was phenomenal. And I wouldn't, and you probably remember Kevin Baboski, who became my boss uh, for a period of time during that transition time. And he said something that really, I think, uh, punctuates this whole experience. He said, Hey, Sanger, like, you know, part out, think about this as 1x. I'm like, All right. And now that you're part of Exact Target, think about it that 10x, right? Think big. I'm like, Got it. Six months later, we got acquired by Salesforce, and Kevin comes back to me. Hey, remember the 10x conversation? I'm like, Yeah, man, we're thinking 10x, we're doing 10x. Uh, we're, you know, we're spending 10x. Like, we, we feel good. And he's like, Yeah, yeah. But now you're part of Salesforce. So think 100x. And, and you know, when I look back on that, I think what he was really trying to tell me is that you need to really dial up how you come out in the marketplace, how you think about customers, how you think about the market perception and how you create a narrative, create a story. He was really helping me leapfrog my own personal experience from a bootstrap startup company To a really well-known, well-run, well-oiled, well-understood forward-thinking company like Salesforce. And that experience really led me to to this this idea of like, all right, now that I've been there for a couple of years, let's start something again here in Atlanta, where we are really focused on one key problem. And we can dive into that in in a minute, But, but really that experience shaped the way I think about customers. I think about community, and I think about problem-focused just going
1: out in the marketplace. So you just hinted at that one key problem that you're looking at. Um, So Terminus is the leader in account-based marketing. And it's a category that you quite literally wrote the book on back in 2016. And now you just wrote the second book on it. So I had Dave Peterson from Play Bigger on the podcast a few episodes ago. And he talked about how companies can embrace category design to have outsized results. So did you take an um, intentional approach around category design when you launched Terminus? How'd you approach that?
0: You know, Dave, I wish I I could say, man, I'm so smart. You know, we did, we figured this thing out and we did everything by the book. We really didn't. And uh, even I had a conversation with Chris Lockett, who's, who's one of the co cool authors of that book. And I read that book uh, almost a year ago. So I'm now familiar with that book, but at that time, I had no idea. Honestly, it came out of a real pain. And I think that's how categories in many ways are formed that whoever is the founder or set of founders, I mean, it has to be in your DNA. The pain has to be felt. Very seriously, because you truly then become the evangelist, regardless of your title of whatever it is. You actually keep talking about the problem, and for us, it, it was really it, it really came down to the idea that we cared so much about the problem, and even today, that we never talked about our product. And as crazy as that, as that sounds. That really helped us create the momentum around Terminus. So, for example, when I'm, you know, when we co-founder Terminus, I remember I wanted to do as a marketer, launch an event. That's what I've learned at Salesforce and you know what companies do, and announce to the world that we have arrived. Nobody wanted to sponsor it, right? nobody wanted a Terminus event and, and anything like that. So I ended up buying a domain called Flip My Funnel, which is a story in and it itself of. You know, that how we came up with that. But that aside, I bought this domain called Flip My Funnel with, with the idea of challenging the status quo of marketing and sales. So if you know the funnel, if you flip it, that's how we wanted to get the people to start thinking about account-based marketing. And I bought it for eight bucks. I kid you not. And the very next day, I sent an email to all these same people who said no to me, like serious decisions and a lot of our competitors. And they all said, oh yeah, why not? And they all sponsored the first five events. We ended up having them sponsor the five events that we did almost a roadshow, going city to city, spreading the gospel of ABM to build the whole thing. We had the same speakers almost for all of them, the same analyst, the media, even the competitors. We gave our competitors stage at the keynote because we realized that if we can do this alone, we didn't have enough funding at that time. And if we focused fully on just soothing our own horn, it's not going to get so far. So let's bring all of these people who had a lot more clout than we did and really build this momentum. So for the next year and a half in our launch, we literally had done about six or seven events in different cities in Austin, Chicago, San Francisco, Seattle, D.C., Atlanta. And we got the same eight, nine incredible speakers, and we had no pitch all whatsoever about Terminus. We were a booth just like everybody else. And that spearheaded the whole idea that, whoa, there got to be a better way to do this. And these people are actually talking about it. We almost gave platform to a lot of these people who not, didn't have a platform to speak at. And, and, and that really created the first year momentum in the idea. And then when you get customers, competitors, media people, and then you put a name on it, oh my goodness, I think I realized like that was what drives a category.
1: I love that origin story. And it, it's so true. So with that, you know, why do you think the concept of account-based marketing has been embraced so quickly by B2B marketers, given it was really just four years ago you started doing that work?
0: That's a great question, man. I mean, going back to the problem that we really staked our whole existence on was the research that Forrester came out in 2015, quite timely, right as we were launching Terminus. They said that less than 1% of the leads donated to customers. Let let me repeat that for people who might have missed it in a different way. 99% of what marketing creates doesn't drive revenue. And that it was an epic launching point for us like, all right, if a forester, a very well-known research firm said this, that means something is broken and there needs to be some other way to do it. And, and think about this, 2015, I like to look at marketing as almost a, a cycle within five years that keeps changing. So we all remember that the early 2000 was all about Email marketing, where people used to get 80 90% open rate. That's where exact targets and others were born into existence. You fast forward five more years in 2005, where marketing automation came to life. The Pardot, uh, Marketo, um, all Eloqua, all these companies really started to say, you know what, we can capture leads. So why not nurture them? And that became a thing. You fast forward five more years in 2010, predictive came about. And they said, you know what, marketing is generating too many leads. Sales don't know what to follow on, so we're going to predict which leads to go after. And predictive became a thing. And then fast forward five more years, that brings to 2015, ABM came to life. And ABM, as you know, it's a strategy. It's not a tool like email, marketing automation, or predictive. It actually is a strategy. And we were solving the same old age-old problem of trying to get in front of the right people in the right format at the right time. So we've never solved this problem with all these technologies. We just created faster, more scalable ways to do marketing and sales, but we never really truly solved the problem. So when AVM came about in 2015, Dave, I believe that people were already subconsciously thinking that Oh my goodness, marketing automation has already been there almost for a decade and nothing has really changed. All we're doing is mass marketing and all we're doing is creating more and more leads and we're having less and less success in driving true customers, true journeys There has to be a better way. So I think we, by luck or chance, however you want to put it, we were at the right place at the right time talking about this because it has been, there has been a lack of innovation in the strategy as opposed to
1: technology. Talent is a big part of predicting the turn. And as we talk about talent, I wanted to mention one of our sponsors, Hunt Club. Imagine the power of the best marketers in the world helping you to find your next marketing leader. That's the power of Hunt Club. Hunt Club is a new category of talent company that powers the network of experts, connectors, and business leaders to help you find the best talent. Let's face it, recruiting hasn't changed with the times. Hunt Club is changing the recruiting game by leveraging technology and crowdsource referrals to find you the best people possible for your company. Stop paying job boards that don't work or recruiting firms that recycle the same active candidates. Partner with Hunt Club. So continuing that journey, after three years as the, the CMO for Terminus, you switch to the title of chief evangelist for the company. And that's still a relatively rare title in the world of business. So, what falls under your mandate, and you know, particularly since you call yourself an accidental evangelist?
0: <laughs> oh man, that you know, that is that is a journey in and it itself. Um, I realized in the very early days uh, that the two or three years that I was really up, like all full on operations, right? And as you know, as a founder, you're kind of wearing multiple hats anyway. But at one point, I had marketing, sales, customer success, all reporting to me. And I was traveling, as you said, wrote the very first book, I was speaking, and I was really passionate about this problem. And so I just became the face of the company. What's interesting is my other two co-founders, Eric Spad and Eric Bass, they were tech people. So they were not actually out there speaking. So it really became that internally and externally, because it's a problem that I faced. I just automatically just just by my own pain and passion became the face of the company, and that drove me into a lot more activities than I ever uh, imagined to be part of. And it started to burn me out, man. I mean, my you know the time with the family, the you know we just had our daughter, uh, you know our second kid, and, and it was just going crazy. And things were good for the company, but internally and at home, I think we were losing some sleep over what's going on, and I was stressing out and burning out quite candidly. And that led me led me and Eric and Eric to have this conversation like, all right, what is the best thing I can do for the company that is going to still drive tremendous value, but still have some sanity in the process? And it, it just became very apparent that, look, in some way, shape or form, because this is a problem that I faced for more than a decade, it is I'm the best person to be the spokesperson for it. And since I'm already doing it, let me continue and double down on that. That led to doing a lot more Flip My Funnel partnership events like we recently did with DemandGen. We're doing road shows still. We launched a whole podcast called Flip My Funnel as you are very familiar with and, and you have been a guest on and we, now it's a daily podcast where we have other people, partners and community people run a, an episode series every Tuesday. Um, I wrote the second book, as you saw, on account marketing. I did the the LinkedIn course on account-based, the very first course on it. But all I think about, or my job in general, is how do we create the future advocates of our Canvas marketing and our future customers of accountants marketing and thereby terminus the bigger the market the more people are aware of it and uh, and and embracing the strategy that is behind it so i never talk i still don't talk about products so again all of this just naturally fell in my purview is i don't talk talk about it i talk about frameworks i talk about customer stories i talk about strategies and all this just leads to more speaking and more conversation and that pretty much my role uh, at, at terminus is to just create the future evangelists, the future ambassadors, the future advocates continuously in the world of ABM. And last I checked today, which was really, really a humbling stat, there are over 100,000 jobs on LinkedIn today that have ABM or account-based something as part of the job description that people need. And to me, that is just a fun thing to, to write up.
1: So, related to that, one of the things that you've always championed and talked about in that role is a saying that you have that without a community, you're simply a commodity. Now, there's a tension point that emerges that you said why you did that in the early days. Yeah. And now you guys are one of the category leaders. So, how do you balance that community aspect with the need to continue to grow, you know, Terminus as a a business and a revenue? It
0: is a tough problem, uh, you know, for I, I know your audiences uh, include people in leadership role and senior leader in marketing, sales and executives. And I've listened to a lot of your episodes that you have interviewed. I know it's, it's it, from a leadership perspective. I think one of the biggest challenges that I'm faced in this is constantly straddling that balance. What's interesting is externally, it is probably the best thing we could have done right? I still get people and we still get people constantly reaching out and saying, can you come speak at this event? And I know that if I spoke about Terminus, these speaking opportunities at Inbound and at all these, like I spoke like at 32 different events this year, there's no way these people would actually ask me to come speak and even be a keynote at the event. So the the voice is obviously going further purely because of how we how I'm out personally in the marketplace, but internally to your point, there's a tension. There are opportunities where people are saying, why are we not combining these two things? Why are we not addressing? Why why don't we get every single person who subscribes for flip my funnel? Why don't we just get access to that list because it's a separate list and we've kept it that way from day one. And it's a constant education internally of like folks, if the market is bigger And if there are more people involved in this thing, and there's more people in the community that are talking about this thing, and they would automatically know that we are behind it. So let's be supportive of it. But it's a constant. I I would say I don't have a very clear answer even today. I struggle with it. We struggle with it as a company. And we constantly go back to, like, what does our customer want? And when we talk to our best customers out there, they, they say, this is one of the best things why they're part of Terminus Advocates. They love the fact that we invest so much in the community of believers in, in marketing and, and better sales and marketing. And our content is so specific that helps them be better marketing and sales. It constantly makes them part of the community. And they're anyway talking about Terminus so I don't know what the real sauce behind it. As a matter of fact, I ended up talking to both Brian Halligan and Dermesh about it because I felt like, well, HubSpot did kind of the same thing. They kept inbound, very separate, and HubSpot. And, and I remember Brian saying this to me on uh, one of the episodes on Flip My Fun. He said, did that? this is our greatest strategic moat. This is anybody who wants to compete with HubSpot. They will have to build a 20,000 plus people community that attends a yearly event like inbound where they get to set the narrative for the marketplace. And when I heard that, I bring, I bring myself back to it. I bring my, everybody in the company back to that. It's like, imagine that 10 years from now, I try to just paint that picture of three years from now, five years from now. Imagine... Now that we have a thousand people attending the conference, let's say we have five thousand people attending to our conference. Let's say all of our competitors, just like even today, are sponsoring this event. Imagine if we get to continue to set the narrative for the marketplace. Wouldn't that be a better place than us sponsoring somebody else's event and being a booth there? And when you put that in that context, I feel like people get a good idea. Like, yeah, let's continue on that path, but not every day is rosy and shiny as you said there are internal challenges and and we're constantly trying to get closer get apart get closer get apart and continue to learn as we grow
1: so taking that path of evangelism a little bit further you know another thing and it's a bit meta to ask this on a podcast but you've been a very large proponent of the power of podcasting as a b2b marketing tool do you see podcasting becoming one of those tactics that every marketer needs much like social media or blogging or other things were before it? Well, let me share a quick story that might just answer it
0: just just by the nature of that story. So Jillian Gartner is one of her customers at Terminus. And I happened to interview her after I met her at one of the conferences. Her title is director of ABM at Thomson Reuters. I'm like, that's fantastic. Somebody at such a big company has a director of ABM. I got to talk to you. So I just hopped on a podcast as I normally would do. And I just asked her a couple of questions, no prep, nothing. And she said, you know what, Sangram? Did you know that our win rate because of you guys is about 95% with the expansion deals? I'm like, hold on for a second. What? She said, yes, it's 95% as part of the expansion deals. I'm like, that's crazy. Let's just hold there and we talked about so it's a podcast so it's all recorded there's no legal approvals right she just shared that she just blurted that out which was like wow if i wanted to get a case study It would have been crazy. So we continue to use that as a snippet. But think about that. That's just a conversation starter. Then we had her come to our office. One of the areas that I also uh, love and enjoy doing is every six to eight weeks, I will bring a customer in the office and interview them as part of our all hands and have them share their journey, their story, their struggles, not only determinants, but also by doing account-based marketing. So everybody in the company knows we're selling to so we brought her in. She did that, and we then, you know, created a case story around that. Then, in the book AB is B2B, I wrote a whole chapter on their story, and then we also um, published it in the book. Then, at the B2B SMX conference that we just did in Boston, she was one of her key speakers that spoke at it. So, if I think about the ROI of that one conversation that was impossible probably to have any other way than like, Hey, let's just hop and talk about this on a recording that led to even today, helping us close more deals, gave her the voice in the marketplace. So now she is known way more out in the marketplace because of that. She shares it. their story is in the book that I don't, I don't know how would I have gotten that story if I wasn't for that conversation and and it, it has just a snowball effect. So to me, if you think about podcasts as a flywheel, which is exactly how I look at it, it does everything you would want to do as long as you want to have an authentic, real, and raw conversation
1: with people. Oh, that's a wonderful point. So you know, diving into that a little bit more, you know, if you look almost a decade ago, I'd say B2B marketing was maybe the, the less sexy side of the marketing industry. But that's really changed dramatically with B2B, I think, where some of the most interesting and exciting things of marketing are starting today. What do you think's caused that change, and do you agree with the shift?
0: They, there has to be. I would, say, I would say that the shift is not as dramatic as it needs to be. I think uh, most B2B companies have signed up for being a boring-to-boring company, and I think we need to start thinking about how do we go from boring to, to blockbuster right? And because it doesn't have to be like that. Uh, Just as I shared, a case study is an example. Very few people believe in case studies. So my challenge would be like, find another way. So when you hear a raw conversation on a podcast and it's an audio recording, all of a sudden people tune into that. They feel it, they get it, they can hear the emotions, they can hear the truth in it. It's not a completely scripted, formed, well-recorded video. So the more raw, the more authentic, the more real, the more kind of almost like make mistakes you do, people start to recognize that, oh, there's a human behind this brand. And I feel, Dave, that, there's a lot more work to be done on that side. I think in B2B, we try to be too buttoned up, too suited up. And the reality is right behind that is a real person who's trying to solve a real problem. And we are, we are, we are kind of almost layering them with all these different clothes as opposed to let's just be open and out there and share exactly what's happening. So I think the shift is happening i would argue that the shift is not happening as fast as possible and therefore some companies like drift or terminus or gainsight or hubspot or salesforce there are only a few companies that we all can pretty much count on our fingers that are totally kind of owning the airways and the narratives in the marketplace and others are still creating data sheets and videos that are fully decorated with all their logos so I feel like the shift is happening, but it's not as fast as I think what you and I might like to see.
1: So you just hinted at it added in that uh, last answer, but you know, in your role in the marketing community, you interact with a lot of aspiring marketers, entrepreneurs, etc. What advice do you give to people early on in their career that want to follow in your footsteps and be a marketing leader, a founder, what have you?
0: Uh, well, I mean, it, probably a cliche a uh, response to that would be like, don't be afraid to make mistakes. But maybe the way I I put out there, I actually put it out there uh, recently on LinkedIn, is that the hardest job in in sales or in SaaS is actually of an SDR. So build relationship with your sales team. If you're a marketer listening to this, the number one thing you need to be doing is building a relationship with your sales team. Not trying to create a blog, not trying to create content but actually your sales team so you get to know if you are uh, if you're in sales today and listening to this i think the first thing you need to know is that who is your customer and what do they really really like what they really want like listen i'm so grateful for softwares like Gong and Zoom and others, where you can just listen to these recordings of customers and onboarding of them or uh, failed calls and all those things so you get to know what it looks like. So I would say learning is by far the most undervalued, underrated asset that I feel a lot of new people who are coming into it are not even concerned. They feel like, oh, I'm just going to go jump in the job and start doing whatever other people tell me to do. And that's just a wrong approach. I feel like you need to go and do what others are telling you because you knew, but man, there's so much that you can learn just by listening and observing and hearing the calls and sitting down together. And if that's not what you're doing and you're just following instructions, you will fall into one of those statistics that companies have where say, oh, we don't use 80% of the content marketing creates, or we don't trust what marketing leads they give. All these conversations are happening because we haven't spent enough time to build trust in the organization. So I feel like learn, build that trust first, and then go create content or whatever you need to do.
1: So that's a great piece of advice. and It's one that, you know, you have this mindset of continuous beta and always improving yourself, looking around, et cetera. Uh, Beyond stuff like, you know, listening to the calls and doing that out, uh, all those others, what other ways do you think somebody can kind of have that same mindset of improving themselves and improving their, their company as a result?
0: Oh, I'm in tons, man. I think one of the things that I subscribe to and I love this idea of continuous beta because I think that's, that's like the reflective of where things are moving. So LinkedIn, as an example, I started to focus on, there was a time where I stopped writing, I stopped creating content. I stopped doing anything because I was like running the team. Right. And then I realized that, oh my goodness, I have really, I'm losing the grasp of how people engage. And then I started writing on LinkedIn just to test things. And as I even I would literally even today, every day I would put something on LinkedIn to test. Honestly, I'm not looking for likes, engagement, anything for my own personal validation. I'm looking for what connects with the audience. So sometimes I will put something that we haven't even talked internally as a marketing team, if that is a good message. And then all of a sudden, if I get 100 plus people to react to it, now I know that there is a pulse in this idea or this problem, or there's something connected to it. So you can be in a continuous beta by just putting yourself out there. So the, the podcast, the reason I do it daily is because I get to learn on a regular basis every day, something new. Um, the reason I put something on LinkedIn is because I can test a new message without going through a process of arbitrary people's opinions i would just get directly from the community so there are things that that i think we need to do uh, continuously by putting ourselves out there that is the only way to learn as opposed to just sitting behind a desk and approving or denying some request or just having commentary so i feel the idea of continuous beta is not just looking at things that others are doing it's
1: actually doing it yourself and testing it what's it what's out there Awesome. Well, I think that is a perfect place to end on. So I really appreciate you taking the time as always. I always leave a conversation with you learning something new. So thank you, Sangram. Dave,
0: this is fantastic, man. Thank you so much. And thanks everybody for listening.
1: Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, hit that rating and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And for more resources, head over to predictingtheturn.com.